Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am your host, Armand Lee. So, of course, you know you're listening to The Quarterly Report. Thank you so very much for checking out the brand new episode. On this week's show, friend of the program, Miss Keely Divin, stops by. It'll be her second appearance, and we got a lot to discuss. The NBA season starts in just a handful of days, so you know I'm geeked up. We're going to be talking about Joel Embiid's new contract, just what to expect from John Wall, who can stop the Golden State Warriors, and so much more. I'm really excited about that. Also, what is up with your man Tyrese? Your man Tyrese challenged The Rock to a fight. (laughs) Come on, Slim. But you know what? I'm going to be defending him, believe it or not. All that and so much more on the way. But first, the number one story this week. First quarter. Who here remembers the show Playmakers? It came on probably about 15, 14 years ago, and it was on ESPN. And it was it was kind of groundbreaking when you think about it because it was, I believe, ESPN's first foray into their own production. You know what I mean? Like, we know ESPN productions now because of the 30 for 30 documentaries right and we know how great those are but playmakers was a fictional show about uh professional football you know and it was scripted completely scripted and it was a espn it was an espn production so you know how like usa has uh mr robot and tnt has animal kingdom and tbs has you know um snails they have the these cable uh, networks have their own um, their own scripted television shows. And ESPN was kind of on the forefront of this, right? They th- this happened early two thousands. So you know, if you're like in your thir- if you're like thirty or maybe in your twenties, you probably don't remember it because again, this was fifteen years ago. And you know, if you're thirty now, I don't know if when you were fifteen, you're staying up on a Tuesday night to watch Playmakers. And if you did, I don't know how much you remember. But the show was super dope, man, and it was wild. And at the time, I remember thinking, yo, this show is super funny, it's super good, but this is way wilder than what's going on in the NFL, right? And then, of course, ESPN, they get the rights to Monday Night Football, and then I want to say it was Paul Tagliabue, but the NFL was like, nah, y'all got to stop this show. (laughs) The NFL did not like Playmakers, and once ESPN got the rights to Monday Night Football, they put that thing they killed that thing and put it in the ground stinking. It was over. And this was the crazy thing is Playmakers was, it was wildly popular. And not just with the fans, but with critics too. It was critically acclaimed and it was delivering ratings. And again, ESPN was on the forefront. They're making their own television show. ESPN doesn't make their own shows now. Like scripted. You know what I mean? And the, se- and the show lasted for one season. And the, it must have hit a nerve with the NFL because they killed it. And I'm bringing up Playmakers because if the show, which lasted one year, scripted what has happened in the NFL in real life over the past, what, 14 months, it would have been considered too wild, right? Too wild for reality. Stranger than fiction, Right? What has gone on in the NFL is stranger than fiction because the creators, the writers, the producers of Playmakers could not have imagined the last 14 months of the NFL. You think I'm exaggerating? Let's go back. Right, August of 2016, you have a once 
you know, a one-time superstar quarterback, one throw away from being a Super Bowl winning quarterback, all of a sudden deciding to take a knee to protest oppression in the NFL. That then sparks a a year-plus-long debate that still has going on to this day now, and I'll get to some of the particulars of that debate. But that's the, like, the starting point. Since then, right, since having the one-time star quarterback take a knee to protest, you've had arguably the great, the greatest football player, no doubt the best quarterback of all time, but arguably the greatest football player of all time, right, slyly um, give praise to the president a very controversial president by having his make America great again hat just perfectly positioned during an interview that you can see it during his interview, a quarterback who doesn't talk about anything, right? This is the best player maybe of all time endorsing a very, uh, I don't even know if you could say the president now is polarizing. He's very controversial and unpopular, like record lows, but the greatest quarterback of all time, one of the greatest players of all time, you know, very subtly uh, endorses the president. After a playoff game, <laughs> you have a star wide receiver, maybe the best wide receiver, definitely one of the three best wide receivers, go on Instagram live and post, you know, his coach talking about the one of the best teams in the league. After a playoff game, and all he's doing is showing himself while you can hear his coach talk mess about the New England Patriots, right? You have um, a former player who played for that New England Patriots team who is now a, a you got to call him a serial killer, get arrested, right? He gets arrested. He didn't commit suicide. Now, he got arrested way before this last 14 months. But during the 14 months, this player who used to play for the New England Patriots, the same team who, you know, Antonio Brown is Instagram living while Mike Tomlin and his head coach is talking mess about, the same New England Patriots who Tom Brady plays for, right, who endorses Trump, they, their former tight end, commit suicide for being a serial killer. He commits suicide. This isn't funny, but just the fact that all this is happening, right? He commits suicide. It's then discovered that he has a gay lover, and some of the money that he that he is owed by to the from the NFL, he gives to his gay lover, and then later on, it's discovered that he had the worst form of CTE imaginable at that short of a career span. So at 27, he had the worst form of CTE that they've ever seen at that age, stage three. You have the star, one of the rookies of the year, one of the best rookies two years ago, playing for the league's most popular team, the Dallas Cowboys, right? He gets involved in a domestic violence dispute, but now you don't know if it's domestic violence or he's being extorted. You have the former league MVP use sexist comments, right, to dismiss a woman reporter, it then comes out that that woman reporter a few years prior had made more than one racist tweets, right? 
you have the president of the United States, the same president that the most famous player, the best player in the league endorsed. He calls players who protest sons of bitches. Now his vice president goes to a game to stage a protest because players are protesting and lies about it via Twitter by tweeting an old photograph, right? All this happens. All of this happens in 14 months. And now the cherry on top, you have an offensive line coach get caught on tape snorting cocaine. Not just snorting cocaine, but snorting cocaine bragging about snorting it before a meeting. And the only reason we know is because he sent it to a stripper and the stripper is upset. <laughs> the stripper is, she's a revolutionary. She's a revolutionary stripper. She's upset that the league and teams are banning, right? Or punishing players for protesting. The same protest that started this whole thing off with Colin Kaepernick. She's upset that the league is punishing players and won't let Colin Kaepernick get a job. So she, the revolutionary stripper, puts this, this video image of this assistant coach snorting cocaine, lines of cocaine. She puts it out there for the world to see, to show the world the NFL's hypocrisy. Slim, that all happened in 14 months. In four, and I left off so much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I didn't even talk about Michael Bennett having a gun pointed at the back of his head for running because he thought there were gunshots at a club. All that happened. All of it. If I were to tell you a show wrote, like that was a script for just the first season of a show, you'd be like, man, this is too much. But that is what the NFL is currently, currently in the midst of right now. So I didn't think like once the vice president got caught out there in a lie, I was like, okay, what, we, what else could the NFL do? And then literally hours later, there's a video of an assistant coach snorting cocaine, bragging that he's snorting cocaine before a meeting to a stripper. <laughs> Yo, in the NFL, you can imagine, right? NFL headquarters, they're losing their minds, right? Losing their minds. And what I'm thinking, like, the NFL should just embrace this. The same way that we all loved Playmakers because it was so crazy. The NFL keeps on trying to keep up this facade, right? That football, professional football is this wholesome, you know, slice of Americana. You know, like, it's... Apple pie, hot dogs, fireworks, and football. You know what I mean? And it's not. The NFL should just embrace that their league is is basically back in the day, like gladiator days. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it is. I have this. I keep on envisioning this image of Roger Goodell trying to keep up this facade of wholesome NFL, right? And he's basically like going pedal to the metal on a highway, right? And he's losing control of the car and he's he's gripping the steering wheel so tightly because he knows that he's about to wreck. But he's trying his hardest. He's trying his damnness to keep the car on the road. And the NFL, it's like, look, man, we aren't driving straight. This thing can't be controlled. 
You might as well just embrace it. This league is a, it's crazy. It's chaotic. To call it chaotic is actually to understate just how wild things are in this league right now. You understand what I'm saying? Again, all those things that I just went through happened in 14 months. The league shut down ESPN's playmakers because they said that, you know, it was putting the league in a bad light. Slim, how can you put the NFL in a bad light? Dog, one other thing I meant I didn't mention. Oakland Raiders football player is jumps out of his car and ready to fight a fan because the fan had a premeditated, you know, idea of trying to get money to sue this football player. They, the whole league is crazy. The whole league is nuts. And in 14 months, they've given us better, better drama, you know, more, more crazy pot, plot twists, cliffhangers, than playmakers could have ever imagined, ever envisioned. The NFL is like the pinnacle of reality TV. And that, my friends, should scare the out of all of us. All right, y'all, man, that's quarter number one. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. Man, if you think that the NFL is stranger, is wilder than playmakers, let me know your thoughts. All you got to do is tweet at me. I'm at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show. Tweet at me on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you agree that the NFL is really just playmakers on steroids or maybe I'm slicing the thing. Let me know either way. All right, guys, so that's quarter number one. We're going to step outside of the sporting realm for quarter number two. It's our second topic this week. I've told you guys this before. You know, I'm obviously a huge sports fan, but I love talking about things outside of sports on this podcast. In fact, they're my favorite topics, whether it's artificial intelligence or music, television, whatever. And this week, we're going to do so with one of my favorite movie French. Are you serious? <sighs> Long time no see, devil. Yeah, I don't know if you've been paying attention to current events. I've been pretty busy lately. Oh, yeah, that actually makes sense. So I guess I should do this more often for the sake of humanity, huh? Hey, you said it, I didn't. Okay, well. Who am I playing devil's advocate for this week? Well, this week is going to be a little bit different. We're going outside of the sports world. This week, you're playing devil's advocate for Tyrese for calling out The Rock for postponing the new Fast and Furious movie. Ah, damn, Joe. This is the hardest one yet. Oh, man. All right, here goes nothing. <laughs> Let's be honest, okay? The music industry hasn't been too kind for Tyrese recently, right? In fact, I'd venture out to say if you take take the Fast and Furious movies out of the equation, Tyrese is best known for Baby Boy. You know what I'm saying? Jody, Guns and Butter. You know what I'm saying? So with that as the backdrop, Tyrese, you know, those Fast and Furious checks, they are really important to that man. You know what I'm saying? Let me think about it. Think of everybody else who's in Fast and Furious. You know, The Rock. The Rock's got an HBO television show that's successful. The Rock. You know what I'm saying? 
the Bama was in. He's in a movie every week, man. Santa Andrea, like he's in like movies every other year. He's got some new movie, and the Batman will wrestle from time to time. You know what I'm saying? To make that bread, you got Vin Diesel. I mean, I want to say he's like one of the creators of the Fast and Furious movie. So he's getting acting credits and he's getting points, you know, from behind the scenes doing that movie. And he's got like a deal with Ford. You know, you, you hear him in those Ford commercials. He's making money all over the place, whether it's whether whether his movies outside of Fast and Furious are successful or not. He's making he's diversified his money. Ludacris, Ludacris is like the host of Fear Factor now. You know what I'm saying? So Ludacris got bread. And I mean, I don't know how much money Ludacris got off boy. Oh, my bad. Two chains. But you would think, you know, he's making money off of two chains rapping because, you know, he used to work on disturbing the peace. So again, diversifying your money, go down the list. Of, even the new girl, I don't know her name, but she's on Game of Thrones, right? So she getting money from HBO. So everybody else on that entire cast is making money outside of Fast and Furious. And what's Tyrese doing, right? What is he doing? He's still trying to make R&B music with Genuine and Tank, and that thing doesn't even work out. So with that as your context, Tyrese needs the money. You know, those Fast and Furious checks gotta be nice, right? They're like the biggest, the biggest movies of the year. Each time it comes out, Fast and Furious breaks this new record. So, you know, if you Tyrese, you know, <laughs> you, you can't, you're not singing anymore. There's no baby boy too. What else you gonna do? He tried rapping, it didn't work out. He tried singing, it didn't work out. What else is Tyree's gonna do? So you know, Rock comes in. It's like, yeah, you know, because look, the Fast and Furious, say what you want about those movies, man. I love them. I don't care. I, I know it's crazy. I know it's wild. I don't care. I love those movies. But one of the best things about those movies are they come out so frequently it's like every other year they're making a new movie it's probably part of the reasons why it's so successful because they just they won't let you take time to realize how absurd the plots are they just keep on churning them out it's like mcdonald's if you if, if mcdonald's actually like you know chick-fil-a is off on sundays and mcdonald's were actually off one day a week every week people would start thinking man mcdonald's is so gross it's so bad for you i'm gonna stop but they keep on churning out those Big Macs. You know what I'm saying? That's what, that's what Fast and Furious is. So, these movies usually come out every other year. And now they're going to wait like three years or two and a half years until it comes out again. So, Tyrese, you know, his ribs are touching. He's like, man, damn, that's another year I got to wait without getting a check. Everybody else is straight because everybody else is doing things outside of Fast and Furious. Except for Tyrese. His brain ain't like that. So, it, <laughs> yes, devil, I this, this is this is the best I can do for you, man. All right, that was tough, but let's be for real, man. Tyrese is dumb as for this, young. <laughs> hey, what is he thinking? Yeah, he better sit his ass down at the back of the bus and start singing about Coca Colas again. <laughs> <laughs>
this is creepy as f so I'm gonna let you go and please please devil don't start World War three while you're gone all right I make no promises on <laughs> seriously though what could Tyrese possibly be thinking you know what I'm saying like I understand his money you know his pockets gonna hurt you're not getting that fast and furious money I get that but you're going after the rock bro and now like you you talking about it's gonna be on when you see him slim don't you got like a lip ring <laughs> you, you feel me though who you fooling bro like number one let's 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 kill like the the whole you and him squaring up you know what i'm saying like come on slim i understand wrestling is fake and i understand just because you you buffed don't mean you got hands but like the rock was on like those old u teams you know what i'm saying like ray lewis you feel me like those squads you know what i'm talking about i'm sure they scrapped it out all the time slim you scooby snacks to the rock. like dog you talking about you want to see him Bro, sit down. And again, you got a lip ring, bro. Like nobody, nobody takes you seriously at that. Number two, think about it like this. The Rock had beef with Vin Diesel. Like I said, Vin Diesel is like one of the creators of the Fast and Furious. Like he's one of the, like the main like producers of the joint. And the Rock is, and not only did the Rock live through that, they got his own spinoff coming off now. So what you think is gonna happen to you? Like, your character is the eating the most replaceable one. Like, everybody who loves Fast and Furious would gladly trade you for a return of Han. You know what I'm saying? Like, your character now is based basically like two little, you know, it's comedy relief, comedic relief. You know, Roman's the guy who's scared, who always talks, and he, he always gets curbed by the, by the new youngin', right? The youngin' from Game of Thrones. That's it. That's all your character does. You don't do anything, bro. Honestly, look, for real. Especially considering how fast and furious they're just going more and more absurd. I'd be down for, like, Tyrese's character doing something like, you know, back in Ninja Turtles when they had Shredder turn into Super, Shred Super Shredder. Like, had a ooze hit Tyrese, and all of a sudden he gets souped up and then just replaced Tyrese with Terry Crews. You feel me? Like, everybody would be down with that. Tyrese, like, you like the most worthless character in the whole franchise, and you're going after The Rock. Think about it. Fast and Furious wasn't even like this big blockbuster franchise until The Rock got on the joint. And you trying to... Slim, what you going through? <laughs> like, something must be going on in your life to make you sad. Because you look stupid right now, bro. You look stupid right now, man. Melvin kicked your ass in Baby Boy, and now Rock gonna kick your ass in real life. Like, what you talking about, bro? Tyrese. Oh, my God. Hey, what's going on, man? What in the world is going on? Oh, all right, y'all. You heard the horn, so you know what that means. The first half is over. It's in the books. Hopefully, you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. Before we get to halftime, make sure you follow me on Twitter, we're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. Or you can follow my personal account. That's at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. -E. You can also follow the show on SoundCloud. All you got to do is go to SoundCloud and search the Quarterly Report. Quarterly Report, again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E -E. And while you're at it, 
Go to iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe. All you got to do is search in the podcast directory of iTunes. Type in the show, The Quarterly Report. You'll see my icon. Click on it. Subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. Let everyone know what you like. Rate the show while you're at iTunes. All right, y'all. So last week, right when I published the show, really the biggest story happened that day. And that was when Cam Newton, you all know, Cam Newton, quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, he stepped in it saying something incredibly stupid, right? He said, replying or responding to a woman uh, beat reporter for the Panthers for the Charlotte Observer, I believe. She asked him a question about his wide receiver, Devin Funches, and his route running. And before he answered the question, he laughed and said, it's funny when females talk about routes. The joint was so stupid, just so sexist, so dismissive. And Cam was in the eye of the storm, you know what I mean, for several days up into really the cocaine snorting offensive line coach, right? That That's the only thing that was able to save Cam Newton. But I am curious because Cam Newton, you know, he issued an apology a day later. Um, and then on Sunday, he wore, you know, the, the emblem, the lady, the cartoon, the iconic cartoon uh, during World War II of the woman rolling up her sleeves. I forget her name. But that's an iconic image. You know what I'm talking about. Cam Newton wore that on his hat as if, you know, he's now a champion of women's rights despite the fact that he made an incredibly sexist comment. So he was obviously getting some real bad PR. I can only imagine some of the bad, right, choices, the bad options that were being given to him by his agent and PR staff. In fact, I can do better than imagine. I can make it into a bit. Here it is. Your mailbox is full. First message. Hey, Cam. It's your agent. Man, you really f***ed up this time, didn't you? But don't worry, don't worry, calm down. I'm gonna see how we can fix this. I'll get back at you with a, a few ideas that I can come up with that we can uh, smooth things over with uh, your female fan base, okay? I'll be back at you. Stay by your phone. Second message. Hey, Cam, it's me again. Okay, I'm gonna go over a few ideas that might work on mending some of these wounds between you and the women in your fan base, okay? All right, now check this out. You're cool with Jay-Z, right? Right? Well, how about this? Let's say you work with Beyonce, okay? The Queen Bee and Cam. It's a match made in heaven. Become a member of the Beehive, okay? That'll be a great way to ingratiate yourself with your female fans, am I right? Okay, maybe not. I'll get back to you. Third message. All right, I know what we did. I scheduled you with an exclusive one-on-one interview with none other than Megan Kelly. This will surely open you up and make you relatable to all the women in your fan base. This is a slam dunk, right? All right, let me know. I'll get back. Fourth message. Okay, I've got it. The perfect solution for this mess that you've made, Cam. The flat. That's what everybody does nowadays, okay? Like, 
Whenever African Americans talk about police brutality, what do we do? We talk about Chicago, black on black crime. Well, on this case, that's what you do. I've already got a few of my best private investigators digging up some of these tweets from this woman reporter. Now, we just bring up some of her dirt and everybody forgets about what you said. It's brilliant. Let me know what you think. This message. Hey, Cam, last idea, okay? This may be the best one yet. All right, so we've just lost Dannon as a sponsor. But it's okay, right? Because, look, we're in a very diverse time. Everybody likes diversity, okay? So yogurt is white. How about now we schedule you with an endorsement with Betty Crocker and pudding, okay? So you lose the white yogurt, but you get the black pudding. It's it's perfect. Cam, you gotta you gotta work with me here, okay? You gotta respond to my voicemails, all right? I've left you like six, seven voicemails. You haven't called me back yet. Let me know, okay? All right. End of messages. You know, one of the problems of having a podcast that debuts on a Thursday is that there are a lot of stories that kind of just slip through the cracks, right? I usually get started to pull the curtain back a little bit. I get started on the podcast, you know, ideas will pop up in my head literally like on a Friday. And then that entire weekend, you know, whatever stories move me, you know, one way or the other, I start actually recording and, um, you know, trying to put things together that Monday. But ultimately, there's some stories that just fall through the cracks. And, you know, the Cam Newton story is one of them. Now, I'm not going to spend a quarter on it because just the way things move in sports and just society, like this was a big story last week. And now, I mean, look at all the things that have that has happened since last Thursday when the story kind of broke. But I definitely wanted to spend a little bit of time. So this is going to be stoppage time. Like I said, from time to time, we're going to have a little bit of break either before halftime or right after halftime. And I thought this was perfect because, and I said this before, ultimately it's on us to check this type of behavior. You know what I'm saying? Like it can't be always women, right? Fighting this fight. Like we gotta, we gotta step up too. Just like when it comes to race relations, it can't just be black people. You know what I mean? Trying to fight. We need allies. If you're Muslim, you know what I'm saying? And a victim of xenophobia, it can't just be Muslim saying, yo, stop treating us like this. Like we all kind of, if, if we, if we truly want to live in this equality, like if we truly care about equality, which we say we do, you gotta be fighting and you can't, you can't just want equality when it affects you. Right? So one of the things that kind of blew me with the cam joint, and, you know, like I said, I want to make sure you guys know I'm not preaching. You feel me? Like, I'm, I'm a regular guy. Lord knows I got my own problems. We all got our own, you know, things that we got to deal with. I'm no different. You feel me? But when it comes to, like, women and respecting them in sports and treating them as equals, I'm not preaching. But I feel like I've never had that problem mainly because – for the vast majority of my life, the only person who cared about sports, loved sports, and was as into sports, knowledgeable, you know, when it comes to sports as I was when I was growing up was my sister. You feel me? So, before, like, my sister to this day knows a lot more about sports than my homeboys. My homeboys who don't, you know, work in sports. Like, obviously now, 
I spent over a decade working in sports. I, I built relationships with people who make a career out of analyzing sports, right? But my partners who, who don't work in sports, you know what I mean? My sister knows more more about basketball and football. Like, you know, I remember being at a Super Bowl party and my best friend was there. He over there, you know, playing cards or whatever. My sister's, you know, cheering on <laughs> Rob Gronkowski only because she didn't want the Giants to win. You understand what I'm saying? Like, and that's, that's my backdrop. And I know there are a lot of people like you as like that as well. So when Cam says something like that, like we can't deflect off of it. Cam could be your favorite player, your favorite athlete, whatever. He was dumb for that, man. You understand what I'm saying? Like, and that's the environment that that creates. Think about this. Cam Newton is the same quarterback who last year, you know, when the whole protest stuff started popping off, he didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. He didn't feel comfortable saying anything. There were riots in Charlotte last year, remember? And Cam didn't feel comfortable saying anything. Cam Newton has shown us over the years that he's not comfortable saying anything that will rock the boat. However, and this is a guy coming off an MVP season two years ago, right? He felt comfortable in a room full of people in front of cameras with what had to be more than one women, woman in the you know, in the press room saying that. And that speaks to an environment. You understand what I'm saying? And Cam has to own that joint. And we can't we can't try to give him a break because the lady, she's got some crazy past. And look, this isn't me caping for her. She had some racist tweets that came out. And she, like the fact that she still works there, I think she still works at the Charlotte Observer. I'm not sure. But the fact that she still works there is a problem. She got to own up to that joint too. But let's not kid ourselves, right? Cam didn't say what he said in response to her tweets. Nobody knew about them joints. You feel me? So that's a deflection tactic. You know what I mean? It's like like we said in the halftime joint, right? When, when, when black people talk about police brutality and inequality in the criminal justice system, people who don't care, they always throw out, oh, well, what about black on black crime? What about Chicago? Like, you could talk about that. We could have conversations about that. But if you're only bringing that up, in response to legit questions, legit concerns, that's a deflection tactic. Same thing with bringing up this this woman's tweets, which are racist, and she should she should absolutely own up to that. But are we going to have the same outrage about Cam, what Cam said than the lady? Of course, it's not going to be the same. Cam Newton's one of the faces of the NFL. Like I don't know what this lady, who this lady is. The only reason I know who she is is because Cam said something to her. You feel me? Think of it like this. When Cam Newton won the MVP, that was everywhere, right? That woman could have won a Pulitzer, and she wouldn't have gotten one one thousand of the coverage Cam got. So, of course, we're not going to cover when they say something stupid the same way. Cam Newton's a star. She's not. She's an idiot who says something stupid on Twitter and should be fired, right? But that doesn't absolve Cam Newton for his dumbass comments either. And I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going I'm to get off this after this because I want to show you when I say the environment, right? Last year, my daughter, you know, y'all know her. She's on the show from time to time, man, my, 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 my world. You know what I'm saying? I'll never forget, man. One day I pick her up from after school, and I'm talking to her. I'm like, you know, how's your day, baby? How was recess? And she was like, Daddy, you know, she was in the first grade last year. She was like, Daddy, I wanted to play basketball, but this one boy said I couldn't play because I'm a girl. So, you know, y'all know me 
Y'all already know how I carried that joint. I was blown. You feel me? Ain't nobody gonna tell my baby she can't play basketball because she's a girl. My Slim, my daughter, no, I put my daughter's I basketball sports IQ up against adults. Like my daughter loves sports. You feel, you know what I'm saying? And nobody, whether you're an adult or some little first grade, second grade boy, is gonna tell my daughter what she can't do because she's a girl. Like she's not worthy. So I'm gonna tell y'all what I did, right? You know, and it was during the winter months, right? So, you know, it was one of those adjustable hoops where you put the broom in the hoop and you lower it. So we, I went to a court that had one of those adjustable hoops. And I told my daughter, ne- tomorrow, not the next time you see him, tomorrow you make sure you see him. And you go up to the hoop and you dunk on his ass, right? And I, no lie, I spent probably a half hour going over dunks with my daughter. You know what I'm saying? Just so she made sure that she let that little Bama know. Because I'm not playing like that, Joe. And that's what I'm talking about, the environment. That little boy didn't know to say that. That's a learned behavior. And here's the wild thing, right? The vast majority, I'm assuming this, right? But I'm assuming the majority, I have a majority male listening audience, right, from my podcast. But even if I don't, right, the men listening probably hear that story, like some little boy telling my daughter that she can't play basketball because she's a girl. I'm assuming that, all of y'all are like, yeah, man, Armand, that's crazy. Yeah, you should have told your daughter to dunk on his ass. You know what I'm saying? Let that little Bama know off rip. But here's the crazy thing, right? If I do my job as a father, as a parent, my little daughter won't be my little daughter her whole life. She'll be her own woman, right? So when she's seven, all the males listening to this radio, all this podcast, all the men out there will see this as, oh, man, that's wrong. But they're seeing my daughter as my daughter they're not seeing her as the woman that she's going to grow and be so when she's seven we can all understand that's wrong but when she's 27 no one cares right when she's 47 no one's going to care how she's treated because this environment is everywhere and it's on us to check that giant you feel me so you know again i'm not preaching i promise you i'm not i got my own stuff we all got our own stuff but it's on us man because that giant that giant's wild man cam Cam had to take that L, and he and he did, but let's not deflect off that. You feel me? Again, the lady reporter, she got her own stuff. She needs to be held accountable, but Cam does too. And we don't need to deflect off what Cam said to make a point or try to ease the situation. Nah, Cam messed up, man, and he got it. That's on his head. All right, all right. So that's over with that. I got it. I had to get that off my chest, but we're gonna keep things moving. With my guest this week, friend of the program, Miss Keely Divin. She's a social producer at NBC Sports Washington. She's a huge NBA head. She's a friend of the program and was even a former co-host of mine on a short-lived NBA internet show. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Miss Keely Divin. Keely, what's going on? I am great. Great to be on. Great to talk to you. You guys are going to want to make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's a really fun follow, a big-time NBA head like myself. She's at Keely Divin, NBCS. That's Keely, K-E-E-L-Y, Divin, D-I-V-E-N, NBCS. So, Keely, like myself, you're a huge NBA fan, and we're going to get to the NBA and so many topics in a second. But before we start, you know, I just finished talking about Cam Newton. And as a woman in sports, I'd like to hear your perspective and hear what you think about, I guess, the entire Cam Newton saga and um, your feelings on, you know, Cam's sexist remarks. Well, first, let me just 
say about Cam Newton that it's really hard to change people's minds about social attitudes that they've had for a long time, right? Right. So people associate, you know, men with sports and feel like, you know, maybe women don't know what they're talking about because they haven't played, let alone the fact that, like, 99% of male journalists, sports journalists, have not played either. Exactly. Uh, But you don't say that, right? Like, you have to be self-aware enough to realize that what is politically correct and not. Like, I'm not – I don't care what Cam Newton privately thinks, frankly, because – and maybe because I'm a woman, I didn't grow up watching – I didn't grow up watching athletes being like, I could be that guy. So I don't really look to athletes as a role model necessarily. So, like, Cam Newton can have whatever backwards-ass views he wants to have in private. But if you're the team and you're his sponsor, first of all, of course he lost Dannon as a sponsor. Who do you think eats Dannon yogurt? It's not a bunch (laughs) of dudes. (laughs) Yeah, like, people at their Super Super Bowl parties aren't curled up on the couch with, like, a cup of Oikos. Like, no, (laughs) that's us. (laughs) Right. So if you alienate, if you alienate women or you say something that, you know, was politically incorrect and ignorant and backward and all of those things that and sexist that Cam Newton's statements clearly were, right. you have to expect to be losing money out of your pocket. You're hurting the NFL's brain. It's not like they don't have a lot going on right now. Um, right. And it's so funny to me that I don't know if anybody has brought this up, but Cam Newton laughing about a woman, a woman knowing – like asking about a route tree is hilarious. That's like Cam Newton talking to people. Like, it's funny to me because we think of women as not interested in sports or interested in fashion. Meanwhile, Cam Newton is the one standing there with a feather in his fedora at every conference. It's like, Cam, well, then you probably shouldn't be able to wear those velvet loafers if you're so cute. If women can't talk about right. those, you need to give back those embroidered pants. <laughs> You know what? You're right. If we're going to do the whole like gender bias, gender stereotypical, you know, roles, uh, then yeah, Cam running around with the super young pants on and like the shirt that looks like a blouse, you know, like, it, like what are you doing? Like the whole thing is kind of, it's not funny, but it is funny in that light. So you're right about that. I didn't think of it like that. All right. But you know, the reason I wanted you to have you on is because, you know, like myself, you're a huge NBA head. So, like, we're just days away from the start of the season. I can't wait. This offseason has been amazing. Um, a lot of teams have made moves for the, you know, the one goal to beat Golden State and to win an NBA championship. Like I said, a lot of teams have made moves, though, and it's it's added to an exciting offseason. But ultimately, my question to you is, which team, which team's new moves, right, have gotten them closer? Like, what team is the biggest potential threat to stopping a Golden State repeat? Oh, man. Um, So I don't think any team has a very realistic chance stopping Golden State. I'm going to say that just, like, right off the bat. But I think right now um, that would be the Thunder and the Cavs. I think if Isaiah Thomas is healthy, you have a fourth-quarter score that replaces Kyrie Irving, but you also picked up Jay Crowder. And right. Dwayne Wayne and Jay Crowder is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, and that was your weakness against the Warriors. Right. So you ended up shoring up one of your big weaknesses um, and replacing, if Isaiah Thomas is healthy in the playoffs, replacing that scoring from Kyrie Irving. Now, I also just think Russell Westbrook and Paul George are both out there to prove something. 
Um, right. You have and you have Mello. I know the the, the problem is going to be sharing the ball, right? There's only one ball, unfortunately. <laughs> Otherwise, that team would beat everybody, right? Um, <laughs> but Paul George, if he can return to his defensive play, he can be a great, great defender. Um, he's really, really athletic, and I think that if you have Westbrook and Paul George committed to defending, then right. you could actually give the Warriors maybe a run for their money. But with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green together, not even to mention Clay Thompson, yeah, I just and especially getting Andre back. Andre Iguodala is so incredibly pivotal to everything that they do. It's he's more important as a leader coming off the bench than maybe the fifth guy in the starting in the starting lineup to me. One last thing I just want to say, this this Kevin McHale, um, James Harden thing, Yeah. first of all, you can't call Kevin McHale a joke. You just can't. Like, Kevin McHale is one of the greats. Also, Kevin McHale, why don't you just shut the hell up? <laughs> exactly. I, that, that whole, you know what, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, uh, Kevin McHale, former um, Houston Rockets head coach, legendary NBA player, Hall of Famer, uh, was I don't know what they were talking. They were talking about Houston and Kevin McHale was like, you know, James Harden is a, an amazing player. He's a great player, but he's not a leader. And, you know, James, James Harden, you know, naturally took that as a shot. And the whole thing is crazy because it just felt so unnecessary. I don't know what, I don't know what Kevin McHale was doing. And the, the thing about it is, you know, former coaches, they kind of annoy me when they're on like, Television. I love Jeff Van Gunny, but and and Doug Collins, right? But all the other ones, they annoy me because it's like this unwritten rule: you can never criticize a coach, whether it's a former coach, current coach. You can never criticize them, but they stay throwing dirt on their former players. And Kevin McHale, I'm like Slim. You are an amazing player. You're right, Keely. He's a great player, but Joe, you're always going to be remembered as the guy who traded Kevin Garnett. For like a five-piece chicken nugget dinner, you understand what I'm saying? Like you traded KG for Al Jefferson and the Pips. Like, what are you talking about? Like, come on, Slim, don't do that. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. Once again, guys, I'm joined by friend of the program, super dope person, super dope NBA follow on Twitter, Miss Keely Devin. She's a social producer at NBC Sports Washington. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at Keely Devin NBCS. All right, Keely, uh, this will be my last question to you. You obviously cover John Wall and the Wizards for a living, so you know them extremely well. Um, John Wall made a huge leap last year. Uh, it's one of the game's elite players. And now, you know, there's real anticipation, real excitement in the area, in this city. For like the first time that I can remember in a long time, um, there's a lot of expectations on the Wizards and John Wall for him for him to carry them into the Eastern Conference Championships. So my question to you is, what are your realistic expectations for not only John, but also the team? Um, I think three seed in the East, and I want them to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think right. that's going to be the measurement of any kind of progress. But I will say that it's not – it's not hard to predict John Wall is going to have the best season of his career because it's the first offseason he's been completely healthy and had a whole offseason to work. Right. He's had the best year of his career pretty much every year of his career, all without that kind of preparation. He and Bradley Beal are on the same page. Um, they're both paid. They are team leaders. 
they the chemistry seems to be there. Um and I really do think Jody Meeks is gonna be a really decent ad. Um he he provides that bench scoring and a three point threat off the bench, which is really important. Um and so I think this team with Marquise Morris out for the first maybe week or two, right. it's not ideal. But I don't think that's going to end up hurting them in the long run. I also think that this team, if you look at the core of Otto Porter, Bradley Beal, and John Wall, they're all entering their primes. They're still growing. None of the other teams that are at the top of the Eastern Conference are stacked with guys that have potential, a lot of potential to be better than they were last year. Right, they're built right. on what those people were, right? And so basically the ceiling for the Wizards um, is higher than it was last year and higher for every single one of those, for all three of those players. Um, so I think you you almost you would think it was a disappointment if they didn't exceed uh, what they did last year. I mean, I agree with you 100% when it comes to John. I mean, John is amazing. Again, he made himself an elite NBA player, and people forget Last offseason, he was coming off of not one but two knee surgeries. So the fact that he had his best year uh, without really having an offseason to improve, he was just rehabbing, that speaks volumes. However, man, getting to the conference championship is going to be tough. I mean, you know, Boston, obviously, they're the team that eliminated Washington in the playoffs last year. And, you know, they've they've revamped their entire roster. Um, and then also, I think, I really like Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee could be one of those sneaky teams. I mean, we all know about Giannis, but we haven't seen Giannis, Middleton, and Jabari all play together once the playoffs start. So, you know, uh, 50 wins and getting to the conference championship, it sounds good, but it's going to be tough for the Wiz to pull that off. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm excited about this team, and I also I agree the Bucks are going to be really fun to watch. Um but, yeah, I think the Wizards are the ones that are going to put put it together. Well, you know what? I can't wait to find out because I'm super excited. We're just a few days away from the start of the season. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, friend of the program is Keely Devin. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at Keely Devin NBCS. That's Keely, K-E-E-L-Y, Devin, D-I-V-E-N, NBCS. She's the social producer at NBC Sports Washington and a huge NBA fan, someone I love talking NBA hoops to. Keely, thank you so much for joining me again on this week's episode of the Quarterly Report. Thanks so much for having me. Let's do it again soon. No problem. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so we just finished talking about the Wizards and how they're going to be looking to finally end their drought of reaching the conference championship. The Wizards haven't done that since the 70s, right? But it's not just the Wizards. It's the entire town of D.C. And that's where we're going to go to wrap things up for our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. In times of desperation, sometimes you've got to learn from other people's mistakes, what other people have gone through, other people's hardships. What do I mean when I say that? You guys know I live right outside Washington, D.C. But for those of you who don't live in the D.C. area, you may not be aware that None of the major professional sports teams, when I say major professional sports teams, I'm talking about the big four, right? NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL. DC, they've got a drought on their hands, right? I just talked to you about the Wizards. The Wizards haven't made a conference championship since the 70s. But it's not just them. I mean, that's pretty drastic. (laughs) 
that that a NBA team hasn't made a conference championship since the 70s, since before I was born. But it's not just the Wizards. The Burgundy and Gold, the football team, hasn't made it to an NFC championship game since 1992, the year they won the Super Bowl, coincidentally. But it doesn't stop there. Obviously, the Nationals, well, the Senators at the time, they left D.C. When they came back decades later, you know, they, too, haven't been to an NLCS. Now, put a pin in that because at the time of this recording, Washington, despite all the drama that has gone on in the last 24 hours with the Nets, they are now one win away, a home game, from doing that, okay? So put a pin in that because their play Thursday night could render this entire quarter moot, right? And then you have the Capitals who, Lord have mercy, every year it seems, with the exception of maybe two or three, they've had one of the best records, if in not just the Eastern Conference, in the entire sport, right? And they, they just can't get right. They, too, can't get to just the conference. We're not talking about winning a championship. We're not even talking about getting to the finals. The bar for D.C. sports teams is literally just get to the conference championship. And what I mean when I start this quarter off saying you got to learn from other people's hardships. Remember in the early 2000s, right? It was the curse of the Bambino for the Red Sox. The Red Sox just couldn't, they just couldn't win a World Series, right? It was the curse of the Bambino, you know what I mean? And then Matt Damon, I think it's Ben Affleck in the early 2000s, they made a documentary. They made a documentary on their beloved Red Sox. And then what do you know? A few years later, Boston, they win their first championship. And I think they won two more. I think Boston now has three World Series since that documentary. But it's not just the Red Sox. A few years later, it was, I want to say it was the 30 for 30 on Bartman. ESPN, they had the Bartman documentary, and it was the curse of the Cubs. Now, they had to wait longer than the Red Sox fans had to. But obviously, we all know the Cubbies last year in the World Series, they won the World Series, right? They were the, they're the champions after, of course, making their documentary. And then, of course, the biggest, the best, I want to say, drought because it wasn't just one team, right? Boston obviously had the Patriots, they had the Bruins, they had the Celtics. All these teams not only win championships, but win, win them regularly when you think about it. Chicago, they had Michael Jordan. So I don't really, I don't even feel any sympathy for them. But not only did they have Michael Jordan, right? They had the Blackout, the Blackhawks. And the White Sox won the championship, let's say in the early 2000s. So Chicago as a, as a city, despite the fact that their beloved Cubbies didn't win. The Chicago teams, the Chicago sports fans, they were winning a championship. But the biggest one, in my opinion, happened two years ago. Obviously, I'm talking about, remember Believeland? That was another 30 for 30. And Believeland talked about the entire city of Cleveland and how they hadn't won a championship since Jim Brown. Since Jim Brown. And it went over the heartache. You know, the Browns leaving for Baltimore. All the heartache with the, 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 the Cleveland Indians, right? 
and then the Cavs. But again, Cleveland, they've only got three professional sports teams. But it was a long drought. And then, of course, they had to they actually had to redo the uh, the documentary to add on, obviously, when LeBron and the Cavaliers won the championship two years ago. But what I'm saying is this. When we've seen it now three times, what they say, uh, one time could be an exception, two times, you know, is a question, but three times equals, you know, you have you have something. That's not how the phrase goes. I just completely butchered that. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Three instances now where the documentary provides the needed kryptonite, right, to end the curse. DC fans, if the Nationals lose Thursday night, and again, this podcast comes out Thursday morning. So by Friday, this whole thing could be crazy. But if the Nats lose at home against the Cubbies, after all the shenanigans that have gone on with Steven Strasburg the last few hours. Y'all, somebody in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, wherever the hell, y'all better make a damn movie. It's obvious what you got to do. Look, man, D.C., all the people who live in D.C., so many creative people out here. So many. Dave Chappelle, Aaron Magruder, you know what I'm saying? That's just to name a few. Those are two people who pop off my mind. And that's just like from an entertainment standpoint. But there's so many people all over the place who you could just, you know what I mean? Make a damn movie because this is crazy. It's been since 1998 because the Capitals went to the Stanley Cup Finals. But since 1998, no team in D.C. has made it, again, not just win a championship. All those other teams were talking about winning the championship. D.C., they just got to get to the conference championship, just be a Final Four team. You know what I'm saying? The Nationals only got to win three games. That's all it's going to take for them to get to the NLCS. That's it. That's it. And the documentary, if you were to really think about it, and if again, if you're not from D.C., if you're not aware of this D.C. sports that I'm talking about, this D.C. sports curse, you probably think, oh, man, he's decisive. All right. Four, again, there's no other professional team, no city with four professional teams that has had a drought this long. In fact, I don't know if there's any city. I would have to double check with Buffalo because Buffalo has two teams. And I'm not quite sure if the Sabres, uh, their hockey team, has been to a conference championship. But I'm willing I'm willing to just go ahead and bet. But think about every other city, right? Charlotte. The Hornets, man, I mean, the, the Panthers won the Super Bowl just a few years ago. Miami. Nah, Miami's got two rings. The, I mean, the, the Marlins. And then we know about the Heat. Seattle, you got the Seahawks. You know what I mean? Just go through the cities. Hell, Utah has one team, one team, one professional basketball team, and they went to the conference championships in like what, 06, 05? So the whole thing is crazy. I don't know if there's a city. I know there's no, no city with four professional teams, but there may not be a city with, again, I had to double check with Buffalo, man. But that's it. And that's crazy. And when you break it down, you could probably do a 30 for 30 on just each individual team. It would have to be like an OJ 30 for 30, like a six-part series. Because, again, if you're not from D.C., you probably have no idea about it. But let me just walk you down memory lane. I would say 
before the last few hours, the Nationals would would be the fourth, the fourth team, right? In terms of just the least wild behavior, like the wild things that have happened with this team, because you know they're, they're relatively new. They've only been here a little bit over a decade now. But we know about what happened with Strasburg. And again, if you're not aware, Steven Strasburg, Game Four originally got rained out in Chicago. So it gave them, you know, their second best arm an extra day to take them out. Steven Strasburg started game one. And apparently he said no. You understand what I'm saying? He wasn't feeling well. He had the sniffles because he was jogging. And he had the sniffles because he had, I don't know, there was a lot of mold in his hotel room. I don't know. So originally he was supposed to, to miss the game four start because of a reaction to mold. <laughs> but then he must have got killed in the clubhouse because the next day, you know, Wednesday morning, he goes into Dusty Baker's office, says, now nah, I'm going to play. And then, of course, he plays, a, he pitches a, an amazing game, an amazing game in a huge spot. Steven Strasburg's entire credibility, his entire I mean, legacy in D.C. was about to be ruined because we haven't even talked about 2012 and the shutdown. People still get upset about the Steven Strasburg shutdown here in this town. Hell, John Feinstein won't let anybody forget that, Jank. Every time he talks about the Nationals, uh, we got the shutdown. Shutdown was the Nationals, they were looking like, you know, they was going, they were, they were playing well, started the playoffs. But Steven Strasburg was coming off uh, I want to say Tommy John, but some type of arm injury. And they had a pitch count on him. Pitch count just to, you know, save him because he had already he had already gone through it. So they're, the Nationals are eyeing the pennant chase, right? And once the playoffs are about to hit, they shut Strasburg down. The Nationals lose um, and the DS. And they shut Strasburg down to save him for preventative measures. But there was really no science no data to support that. And, of course, Strasburg got hurt several years later. The whole thing. The whole thing was ridiculous. It was a mess. The Nats had a good chance, a good chance as any, to make it to the World Series that year, to win a pennant. But they shut down, at that point, their ace. At that point, Steven Strasburg was the Nationals' ace, and they shut him down. So that's the Nationals, for instance. It, it, actually, I got maybe even the biggest, craziest thing, craziest note for the Nationals. The face of their franchise, right? The face of the league, probably. Bryce Harper, a few years ago, got beat up in a dugout by Jonathan Papelbon. I mean, wh where does that happen? <laughs> and that team didn't do anything. Jonathan Papelbon was brought in to be their closer. They had a closer in Drew Storm. Papelbon comes in, Storm falls apart, and Papelbon was a complete mess. But to add, to put the cherry on top, he beat up the face of their franchise on national for in front of the world. You can't make that stuff up, but that's just the fourth strangest story when it comes to DC sports. Cause we hadn't even talked about the wizards, the wizards, Lord have mercy. They'd be number three. The wizards have, I mean, for a generation, DC is such a basketball town, hotbed. People love basketball, but the, the love for the wizards it doesn't translate. Talked to Keely about this just a few moments ago. This year seems like it's finally there where people are finally willing to embrace the Wizards. And it's taken 
decades to get to this point. But they've had chances to do so. They just made not just bad decisions, off, I mean, catastrophic decisions. Case in point, they traded Chris Webber for Mitch Richmond. Chris Webber, Chris Webber for Mitch Richmond. I can't, <laughs> Slim. They made bad decisions before that, right? Rasheed Wallace got traded his rookie year for Rod Strickland. Rod Strickland was the least, you know, Rod could play. And Rod helped out that Chris Webber team. For those of y'all don't remember, mid-90s, the Bullets at that time, they made it to the playoffs for the first time in a while. And it was the Chris Webber, Jawan Howard, Rod Strickland team. And they went up against the Bulls, you know, the mighty Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen Bulls. And despite the fact that Chicago swept the Bullets, all three of those games, this is when the first round of the NBA was a best of five. All three of those games were extremely competitive to the point where Michael Jordan, after the series is over, is on camera saying, man, that team in D.C., they're going to be a problem. Like, they're the future. And Lord... And, and almost immediately following that, they trade Chris Webber. And the point of that is Chris Webber goes to Sacramento, a team that hadn't done anything forever. And the moment he gets to Sacramento, the moment they start winning 50 games and they're competing for a championships, championship each year. You cannot make that up. I mean, seriously, Sacramento was nothing. Chris Webber was hitting his prime. Mitch Richmond was past his prime, and they still make that trade. That's after trading Rasheed Wallace a few years prior. And again, although Rod Strickland was a good player in D.C., Rasheed Wallace goes to Portland. Portland becomes consistently a 50-win team competing for a championship. They were one fourth quarter away from going to the finals, and they probably would have beat Indiana in the year 2000. It's just that the Blazers and the Kings kept on running into Shaq and Kobe because one of them would have won a championship had they not. And again, remember, D.C.'s just trying to get to the conference championship. Mitch Richmond won't doing that. But, you know, okay, that's the 90s, right? You think, okay, no harm, no foul. They bring in Michael Jordan to run the team. Everybody's geeked up, right? Why? Because everybody want to be like Mike. Mike is the winner. He's synonymous with winning in the NBA. And what does he do? He was like, all right, man, we have Rip. Let's trade Rip. Rip, Richard Hamilton is who I'm talking about. They trade Richard Hamilton with Jerry Stackhouse. Stack was a good player. Again, you trade young guy hitting his prime for an older guy past his prime. Jerry Stackhouse doesn't really do anything in D.C. Richard Hamilton is a key part of an NBA championship in Detroit. Alongside, guess who? Rasheed Wallace. Can't make it up. But even then, so they run Michael Jordan's ass out of town, right? And because after Michael Jordan comes down from the ownership or from the management side to play for two years, everybody loves it, right? Because you get to see Michael Jordan in D.C., Michael Jordan Wizards jersey. He's got the white and blue, black and blue Jordans coming out. Everybody's geeked up. Don't make the playoffs in any of those years, and they ship Michael Jordan's ass out of town, right? But... But you bring in Gilbert Arenas, and I'm not sizing. For a year and a half, man, Gilbert Arenas was the most exciting NBA player in the league. Not best. Got a lot of respect for guys like John Thompson, Big John. He was on the radio back then, I swear to you. 
he got on the radio one day and was like, he wouldn't trade Gilbert Arenas for Kobe Bryant. And I remember laughing at it. I mean, he knows he's forgotten more about basketball than I've, I'll ever know. You know, he won a championship at Georgetown, for goodness sakes. But I remember driving into work, listening to that, laughing. I'm like, what? But I'm not saying that to, to, to ridicule Gil. I'm telling you that although I thought that was crazy, a lot of people didn't. And the reason why is because Gil was a monster. You know, Steph has, Steph has kind of made it popular to hit a shot and turn around like before it goes in and celebrates. Gil was doing that for game winners. Gil dropped 60 on Kobe. Gil was a monster. But he didn't like playing defense and didn't care about letting the world know about playing defense. So one night, he's late to practice. Head coach at that time, Ernie Jordan, was upset when to sent a message to Gilbert. So Gilbert didn't start. It's important to say that because he comes off the bench in a moment where he's probably going to be on any other night is because he's starting, would be taking a rest. But he's coming in, and then Gerald Wallace happens. I have so many friends who are diehard Wizards fans that if you say Gerald Wallace to them, they're ready to break something. <laughs> Gerald Wallace crashes into Gilbert Arenas' knee. Gilbert Arenas has surgery, and he's never been the same since. Right? But that's just the tip of the iceberg with the Wizards because we ain't even got to the guns in the locker room yet. <laughs> Gilbert Arenas, Javaris Crittenton, Gilbert's trying to be funny. They got a beef over a, a car bet. Gilbert brings the hammer. He brings multiple hammers in the locker room in D.C. with the letter to Javaris saying, pick one. Javaris is not the guy I play with. Maybe that works with JaVale. Maybe that works with Blatch. Maybe that works with Nick Young. That mess don't fly with Javaris. Because Javar was like, yo, I got my own. What's happening? <laughs> and the whole thing, gets, it, gets, it just goes straight to hell. Gil is on house arrest. Javaris, at this point now, I want to say he's he's locked up for murder, real life. And that's kind of the story for the Wizards. The Wizards last year were a game away. Now, they had to, re they had to strip everything down after the Gilbert Arenas thing. Bring in John Wall, bring in Bradley Bill, bring in Otto Porter. Last year, they're a game away from actually getting to the conference championships. But Kelly Olenek, of all players, put an end to that. So that's the story of the Wizards. That's a brief story. And I, I had to skip over a lot of stuff because I didn't even mention Kwame Brown. I didn't mention Kwame Brown. You understand? But that's the abbreviated version of the Wizards. They're the third most interesting story when it comes to D.C. sports drought. Then you got the Capitals. The Capitals have been blessed, right? They're the last team to actually make it to the conference. Hell, they're the last team to make it to the championship round of D.C. sports. But nobody was paying attention to them at that point. But then they were blessed with Alex Ovechkin. Alex Ovechkin of, of this era is the greatest D.C. sport athlete, and it's by a wide margin. Alex Ovechkin, I mean, I'm lucky. You know, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, lived out in out west for a while and out in Portland. I'm not a, I'm not a, a, I grew up, I didn't watch hockey. I didn't pay attention to hockey. You know what I mean? I had NHL 94 because that game was fun as hell. And I, I don't know if y'all remember, but it was the All-Stars cartoon show where it was Bo Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Wayne Gretzky. I remember that. That's literally the extent of my hockey knowledge before Alex Ovechkin. I was lucky that I started interning and um, freelancing at CSN, right around the time Ovechkin came into the league. So 
what better way to learn about hockey than watching one of the game's greatest players? And Ovi is fun as hell, man. He's like, he changed the culture here in D.C. for hockey. But the problem is, year after year, President's Trophy after President's Trophy, MVP after MVP, so many examples of the Capitals not only looking like they're going to get to a conference championship, but that they're going to win the whole thing. And they've had some of the most, I mean, <laughs> some of the greatest flameouts I've ever seen. I mean, I'm still, like, I don't know how you could be a Capitals fan at this point. I'm being dead-ass serious. That joint has to hurt. And it's coming from a Nick fan. I mean, you got one of the game's greatest players. I will never forget their series against the Canadians. And Yaroslav Halak, I don't even know who that Batman I don't know what happened to him. But that Batman, he ended up looking like, you know, uh, Patrick Waugh in, 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 in the net in that series. He was stopping everything. That was the year where the Capitals were the one seed. The Canadians were an eight seed. Now, hockey is unlike basketball and football where the, the number one seed loses all the time, all the time. But I don't know if I've ever seen it consistently like this with a team. So while... There's no crazy off-the-field incidents. There's no guns in the locker room. There's no, you know, trading all your best players, even though there are a few players who were traded in Washington that you kind of look back now and like, ah, that may hurt. The only thing about the Capitals is they've had Alex Ovechkin and they've wasted. I don't want to say they wasted because he's brought, he's been instrumental in making D.C. and, you know, the surrounding areas uh, a real hotbed for hockey because he's done that. But the fact that they've never made it to the conference championship. Meanwhile, their arch rivals in Pittsburgh, Crosby came out, what, two years after Ovechkin? And he's now won two, three cups? Ish, that's tough. So the Capitals will be in the second story. But of course, of course, the Skins are number one. Burgundy and go number one. Lord have mercy. I don't even, I won't have, I'm already gone 20 minutes talking on this quarter. Think about the 30 for 30 that you could do just on the football team here. Think about the 30 for 30 that you could do just on RG3. Think about they, DC Sports. This is how crazy DC is, man. They brought Mike Shanahan in to talk on, their, on the radio, not to talk about the football team, but to talk about Steven Strasburg. Mike Shanahan. That's how crazy this whole thing is here. In this town, Mike Shanahan. So, the the football team you got RG three, and I'm just gonna do a real quick synopsis of all the things that's wrong with this team. Marty Schottenheimer, Gus Farrat ramming his head into the wall. <laughs> you could do you could do on the owner Daniel Snyder, who who when he first came into the league started owning the team, running to run the football team like a fantasy football team. You could talk about the Donovan McNabb era, the quick era where Mike Shanahan said Donovan had cardiovascular issues. <laughs> and and like it just doesn't stop. Unfortunately, and this is a sad thing, man. I remember when Sean Taylor passed. And that shut the whole city down, man. Not to put a, a, a sad kind of cloud over this, but where does that happen? where your best young player in any sport 
dies tragically before all the information is out. You've got your 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 writers at the Washington Post who have a national platform vilifying Sean Taylor before his body is even cold. And then when you find out how he passes, right, he's defending his his child and his girl. You know what I mean? At a at an attempted robbery, then everybody looks like fools. And and then you feel even more sad. And what makes it worse, Washington has not hasn't gotten their safety position right ever since. Right? They've had a problem back there ever since. Sean Taylor was amazing. Amazing. And if you're too young to to remember Sean, he was he was amazing, bro. And that's that's a sad way to look at Washington. But that's not even it. Because you got, again, RG3 would be a, a 30 for 30 on his own, especially his relationship with Kirk Cousins and Mike Shanahan. But then you think about what recently happened. Former former player for the Skins, Chris Cooley, has his radio show. And Scott McGloin is a guy who has, has been the main reason why Washington has kind of turned things around in recent years. Cooley gets on his radio show and says the guy's a drunk. And he loses his job and the whole thing. So that's the quick version. That's the Burgundy and Gold. That's the Capitals. That's the Nationals and the Wizards. That's all the drama. If they don't make a damn documentary. Okay, it's all on the Nats, man. The Nats can win tonight, eliminate the Cubs, and move on to the NLCS. And you know what? Then all, all is lost, even though they still wouldn't have. They still have a championship drought. And the longest, you know, maybe one of the longest championship finals droughts, right? Getting to the finals of whatever league you're playing for in, in any sports that has four teams. However, they can't even get that right yet. But if the Nationals don't win Thursday evening, 8 o'clock I want to say is the start, somebody in D.C. learn from Chicago, learn from Boston, learn from Cleveland. Make a damn movie, man. Stop playing. All right, y'all, man. That's it. That's the show for this week. Once again, I want to thank friend of the program, Keely Devin, for stopping by. Also, I want to thank all you all for listening. If you want to get in contact with the show, if you think DC Sports is worse than how I made it, do you think that I'm forgetting something? If you're a Wizards fan, did I leave something out? Nets, Capitals, Skins fan, hit me up. All you got to do is tweet me. I'm at quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Let me know your thoughts. Also, you can email me. I'm at thequarterlyreport at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Go to the podcast directory. Search the show Quarterly Report. Again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. You'll see the icon. Click on it. Subscribe. And please rate and review the show as well. Tell your friends to listen and tell them to rate and review too. All right, y'all. See y'all next weekend. Or next week, I should say. Maybe the Nationals will break the curse. If not, somebody, man, get a fake-ass Spike Lee out there, man. Do what you got to do. Take one for the home team, all right? But make sure you do so when you listen to the quarterly report. I'll holla at y'all.